begin this series called Grateful Hearts. And it's a series designed to get us to begin thinking more about being grateful, being more thankful for the things that are happening in our life. How many know we need that? And especially in 2020, how many understand, you know, we are, I mean, I'm thankful we can be here this morning. How about you? Man, I don't care if I put a mask on. I don't care. Just, I just love to be together. So let's just be together and worship the Lord. And we're just grateful for every time we have an opportunity to be together because we are family. Amen. And uh, we get to lift each other up and encourage each other. So uh, I'm going to continue in this series. Uh, a message got put on my heart this week just called Thankful Prayers. And we're going to get our hearts and our minds on praying more thankfully and making thanks part of our prayers. And as a foundational scripture, I want to use Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. So you can see it on the screen or you could turn to your Bible there. But uh, this is one of those highlight verses. This is one of those verses you want to underline in your Bible or get a highlighter and highlight it. It's worth memorizing, you know, because it's something we got to keep on our minds. And it simply says this. Do not be anxious. Okay, right there, the, worth, the verse is worth it right there, right? Right there. How I many of you ever get anxious about anything, right? The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word, which speaks life to us. It instructs us. It leads us into the path that leads to everlasting life. And Lord, we thank you for the word that you have given to us as a love letter. We thank you, Jesus, that we can read your word and we can know who you are and we can know the way to live. God, we pray that you would bless this word to us today. May we feed on it and may, Lord, we go away having a deeper love, a greater thanks for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, thank you. Some people say that thank you is like the two most important words in the human language. You know, the most important phrase, the two-word two phrase, thank you. And uh, do you know what the, the three-word phrase is, I love you. That's pretty important too, right? But thank you. Thank you is probably something... That your mom, uh, one of the first things your mom made you say, I mean taught you to say, right? I mean taught you to say, but made you say because your mom wanted you to get it in your heart and, and make it come out your lips, you know, that you should say thank you to people that do nice things for you or that help you or that maybe allow you privileges, you know, and, and get you involved in things. You're supposed to say Thank you, because in your heart, you're to be grateful for that. Like, they didn't have to do that. You know, they didn't, uh, it's not an obligation for them to do that, but it's something they did for you. So learning to say thank you is so important. There's a good reason to say thank you, and it's important also to express our thanks. And there's lots of ways to do that. We could say that verbally. We can write it in a card. You know, when someone gives you a gift or thinks about you, you can write them a card. That means something. You can go and help them with something or maybe even spend a little time with them. You kind of return the thanks and because you want to show appreciation and let them realize uh, that you realize how grateful you are. For what has been done. It's important. But unfortunately, it's the ones who love us the most or those who do the most for us that we often thank the least. 
And this is like both a kind of a good thing and a bad thing when you think about it, right? Because on the one hand, you're like taking them for granted because that sounds bad that you take them for granted. But basically what you're, what you're doing is you're thinking, well, they're, of course they're, they're good. Of course they're good. They love me. They do this all the time for me. I know what to expect because they do it over and over and over again. And, and if they don't do it, you go, what happened? You know, what's going on? Because they're just so good to us. So on the one hand, we kind of take it for granted because they're that good. But on the other hand, it can sting when we take someone for granted. And it can sting because it can begin to feel like we're just taking advantage of or that we've come to expect in that sort of demanding way, and we lack the appreciation. And that doesn't feel good, does it? How many ever been on that receiving side of that, when you've done things and someone didn't show appreciation? You didn't know how they felt about it. You didn't know if it had been worth all the effort that you put in to, to make them happy or to do something for them, and you just weren't sure where they stood with you. It, it's not a great motivator for you to go ahead and do it again. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of one of those things where you think twice. You know, I don't know if they're really appreciative. But that's why it stings. But this is why this lesson is so important. You see, because the same thing can happen when all of our prayers are filled with complaints and demands of God. We love the Lord. Isn't he good? Man, we know he's good. We know he loves us. We know he takes care of us. The Bible says God's children never need to beg for bread. I mean, God takes care of us. And we know he is. And so sometimes we can sort of take that love for granted. We can take that goodness for granted. Of course God is good. And then all we do is express how disappointed we are or how hurt we are. Because God didn't do this or that for us. Something happens in life and we're like, God, where are you? Why did you do that? Why did you allow that? What's going on, God? Don't you care for me anymore? This is the kind of things that we can get into our heart. And if we're not careful, then our prayers begin to be filled with this kind of hurt, this kind of bitterness, this kind of complaining, this kind of attitude that we get with God. Because he doesn't do what we want him to do. So when we're tempted to complain or to throw ourselves a pity party. By the way, have you ever had a pity party for yourself? I mean, come on, you pulled up the rocking chair and you had a little pity party, right? You sat there and you just had a pity party, right? And God's listening, you know, <laughs> but he's like waiting for you to get done with your tantrum you know, or whatever it is. But you have this pity party. Whenever you're tempted, tempted to do that, remember what I'm about to say. And this is a quote, and I thought it was so good. I heard this recently in a devotion I read from, from author and pastor Mark Batterson. He, he, he wrote this. Remember this, whenever you're tempted to have the pity party. Jesus was tired. Jesus was poor. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was tortured. And Jesus was murdered. And when Jesus endured the troubles of life, something that he promised us, we'd face also, he prayed. There is no prayer that is a guarantee to keep us from sickness. There is no prayer that guarantees to provide us wealth. No guarantee that God will give us what we want. We should 
how should we pray then when we're betrayed or hurt or confused or in great pain? Let me suggest this. Here's how we should pray. When we're tempted to complain and have the pity party, when we're hurt, when we feel betrayed, we need to do this. Take it to the Father, but do not dishonor. That's going to be up on the screen. Think about this for a second. Take your need, your prayer, your feelings, whatever it may be, to the Father, but do not dishonor. Let me explain this for a second. We shouldn't come to God with an attitude of blame, and we should not come with disobedience to God because of the things that take place in our life. Don't come to blame or disobey. What we need to do is present our pain to God In other words, just be honest with God. How many know God is big? He can handle it. He can handle our honesty. He really can. God can take it. But don't forget also to be grateful. This is what's great. You ever read the Psalms and you look at David? There's times where David's complaining in that Psalm. I mean, you can read it. I mean, it's like this is happening. But in the same breath, in the same breath, just a verse later, he praises the Lord. He's like, oh, God, this, but, oh, God, you are good. Oh, God, I know you're faithful. Oh, I'll sing your praises forever. It's okay to be honest with God, but do not forget to honor God. Honor him and praise him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 gives us further instructions, and here's another highlight verse that you should put in your heart and get it memorized. It says this, give Thanks in all circumstances. Can you say that with me? Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How many ever prayed to know God's will? Well, this is one of the answers to that. One of the, one of the things that God wills for is that we would be thankful in all circumstances. That means no matter what is happening to us at any given point in our life, no matter what happens, and we don't understand it, we can't fathom why this is taking place. It's hurting. It's painful. It's confusing. I don't get it, but I know I can be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will. On Wednesday night during Soul Print, this past Wednesday night, I, I, I spoke on this idea that we can actually go back into our past and we can reimagine. It's not that we reinvent the past or we rewrite history because we cannot. What has taken place has taken place. The facts are the facts. We can't change them, right? We can't really rewrite history. But what we can do is go back and reimagine that same event. That event that hurt us so badly, that event that we didn't understand, now years later we go back and in our mind we reimagine what was God doing. At the time I was hurt, at the time I was confused, but now looking back I see the hand of God. Now looking back I realize it was for my benefit. I now look back and say if it hadn't been for that I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be where I am today. I can reimagine and then begin to praise God for the things that I had been so bitter about. But thank God I can release that bitterness to him. I can give it to him. No longer will it have a hold on me. And I can praise the Lord and give thanks to him for the things that have happened in my life. Knowing that he is good and that his plans are good. Amen? 
And he never intends to harm us. He only intends to help us and to, to bring us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And I would say then, the real work for us is not just that we need to go back to the past and reimagine and see the hand of God, but is to ask God for the eyes to see what's happening in the present. And in those circumstances, find a way to give God thanks right now. Right now. And God can help us to do that. So this brings me to the main subject of the message today, which is thankful prayers. Let us look no further than our ultimate example, Jesus Christ, as an example of someone who prayed thankful prayers. We've got to look to Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our example. He's the one that we are becoming like. Jesus prayed thankful prayers. Christians are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer explains to us and teaches us uh, what to pray for, you know, what the focus of our prayers should be. But there's something that we can observe from the way Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed thankful prayers. In Luke chapter 10, and beginning with verse 21, I'm going to read this to you in a second, but I want to set it up. You can understand this is Passover week, just days before the Passover, days before Jesus would be crucified. And Jesus has sent his disciples out. And he sent them out on a two-by-two mission. He sent them out to proclaim the Lord and to, to share the gospel, these things. And the disciples have come back, and they are rejoicing. And they're so excited, the disciples. They, they, they got to go out. You know, it's like they've been with Jesus and walking with Jesus, and now he sends them, and they go off on their own for the first time. And, and they're like, whoa, this really works. They came back. You know what they were excited about? They were excited that the demons even listened to them. That they were able to command demons. And, and, and they were so excited because they had the power of Jesus living in them. Now Jesus was excited for them. They came back and he was excited. They got excited, right? But he said, okay guys, okay, okay I'm, I'm happy you're excited. But listen, don't rejoice that the demons listen to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Right? How many are grateful to be saved? How many grateful that you know Jesus? That's what we should truly be thankful for. Our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not just that we have the power of Christ that we can do things, but that we are saved. We know where we're going. Now, so right after this, Jesus then stops talking to the disciples for a moment, and he starts talking to his Father. He starts to pray. And that's where we pick up in verse 21. It says this, In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, or so it pleased you well. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. What a picture that we get to look at this story and have it that 
the Lord had it written down into the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we could read it in 2020 and glean from this picture, this prayer of Jesus, this interaction he had with his disciples because we can learn so much from it and we can benefit from it today. In this prayer, we can see how thankful Jesus was that the Father revealed the truth of who he was to his disciples. This prayer can be described as a worshipful prayer, a theological prayer, an insightful prayer. But most of all, it's a thankful prayer. And we can learn something from this. Today, I've, I, I looked at this and I asked the Lord to show me what to speak to you today. And I found three basic things from this prayer that I want to share with you. The first thing is this, that Jesus expressed his thanks to the Father. He actually said the words, thank you. He expressed them. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was thankful for? You ever, I don't know if you ever asked yourself that question. What's the Lord thankful for, you know? What is he thankful for? Well, here's one answer. He was thankful that the disciples, in their simplicity, were the ones who got it. They're the ones who saw they're the ones that heard. They were the ones who it was revealed to from the Father who the Son was. They saw Jesus not just as a man, but they saw Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. They got it. And they walked out in that power. That's how were they were able to do the ministry Jesus sent them to do. They were able to do it, and they got it. Jesus thanked the Father that they got it. He called them little children. They were simple. They weren't the most wise of their day. They weren't the powerful of their day. But he said, I see this, Father. Thank you, Father, that they got to see what kings and prophets never got to see. Thank you, Father. This is what Jesus is grateful for. He is grateful for the revelation of himself to you and to me. That you and I are sitting here this morning in this church or watching online and you have Jesus in your heart. That's what Jesus is thankful for. That you see the truth. And that you have responded. Jesus loved his disciples so much. Did you know that he saw his disciples as being given to him by the Father? He literally felt that the Father gave him these disciples. These are the ones that the Father gave to him. And he was as grateful for them as they are, were to him. That's the way he saw it. He felt that they were just as a gift to him as he was a gift to them. They were his gift. No wonder Jesus expressed this kind of thing. I'm not going to lose any one of them. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to have them with me. I'm gonna, these are the ones you gave to me, Lord. I'm going to continue to pour into these ones. You gave them to me, Lord. This is, this is something that Jesus is thankful for. And you know what? I, I learned from that to express the thanks. How many of you are grateful for the people that are here in this room with you right now? Listen, this is something Jesus is teaching us. They were brothers. They traveled together. They ministered together. And Jesus was grateful for them. I think we should be grateful for each other. Do you know that you're a gift? Some of you may not think you're a gift, right? You're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> but you are a gift. You are a gift to me. 
I'm so grateful for Pastor Ricosi. He's my brother in Christ. But I'm grateful for our other pastors on staff, Pastor Anthony, Pastor Steve, Pastor Erica, all of us, Pastor Nicole. I'm thankful for all of them. And I'm thankful for my team leaders. And I'm thankful for you that just come, you come to the, the church every week and you come in and you're, you're here and you're with us. I'm so grateful for you because you encourage me and I encourage you. And we lift one another up in Christ and our faith is built together. The body of Christ is a gift. I don't know. Sometimes I scratch my head at the people that think that, you know, they don't need church. The people that think that I don't, I don't need that. I'll just serve God on my own. It's like I'm an island. I'll just do it on my I don't need anybody else. That's not really the what Jesus died for, folks. Jesus died for the body of Christ, his bride. How many know he's coming back for the bride, right? Not a singular person, but to, together, all of us, together, his bride. And he wants us to be together. We have many parts to the body, right? Some people are the eyes, some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the mouth, right? Some are more mouth than anything else. But, I mean, that's the way it is. But, you know, but we belong to one another. We can't say we don't need each other, the Bible says. Very clear. We need one another. And so we should be grateful. And Jesus expressed the thanks. So, you know what? Let's ask the Lord. God, help me to be more thankful for the people that are around me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and not to just be grateful in your heart, but to say it with your lips, to be more like Jesus. Express your thanks. Okay? The second thing I learned from Jesus here is that Jesus is thankful for childlike faith. This is important. Sometimes we would try to impress God, don't we? Sometimes we try to get real, I mean, sometimes we get really weird, you know? <laughs> sometimes there's people that believe in God. How many know there's some, God has some crazy children. How many know that? You know what I'm saying? We can get pretty weird, all right? And, uh, and it's because we get caught up in all this fantastic stuff, you know? But Jesus addressed this in his, in his prayers, and he addressed this in other places. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, get an atheist and you preach the cross and they just, it's, it's, it's no good to them. That word is nothing to them. It doesn't help them. Okay? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is through the cross that we are saved. That is the message that saved. We are thankful for the cross. That's our power. Amen? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, or the folly of preaching, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Wow, now this is this is something that we. I'm not going to take the whole morning to unpack this particular passage, but it's worth going and studying. 
it's worth going and unpacking this because it's filled with a lot of great theology in this passage itself. But here's what I get from what was just said by the Apostle Paul. I am grateful, and aren't you grateful, that we don't need a Ph.D. in religion or science, right, or philosophy to know God. How many can say thank you? I don't need it. Not that it's not a good thing to get a Ph.D. That's a great, great accomplishment. But you do not need to be the wisest person on earth to know God. All you need to do is hear the message of the cross. It's very simple. You're a sinner, and that sin separates you from God, but Jesus died on the cross to cover your sins, and the only way for you to be saved is to accept his sacrifice. It's not your good deeds that save you, but his good deed. He was faithful and died on the cross so that if you place your faith in him alone, you can have eternal life. It's that simple. It's that simple. You don't need great wisdom to understand this message, that he loves you and died for you. You know what else I'm grateful for that I get from that passage? That we don't need a powerful miracle or an amazing prophecy to know Christ. There are many people that are out there claiming signs and prophecies and all kinds of stuff as if that's proof that they really know what God's about. And that they really are closer to God than other people. you got to hear the latest and the greatest revelation that I heard to really get what God's doing right now. I know God more than anyone else. I know what he's up to. There's many books that are written like this, by the way, and it drives me bananas. Because they sell so many books based on their... (laughs) They figured out a prophecy that for 2,000 years no one else saw it. But they did. And they want to get you in there. Listen, how many are grateful? You don't need the wisdom and you don't need the signs to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus, here it is. This is the coolest part. Jesus is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's all you need. You just need Jesus. We are simply called to be God's children and are to respond to Jesus with childlike faith. I want to share with you a a potent example of the belief of children found in Scripture. And this is something I had not seen. I read the Gospels many times, but I didn't care. I'll tell you what the part is here in a second. But I had never seen this, but it was like a revelation to me. I thought, wow, this is really cool. But in Matthew 21, verses 12 to 16, I mean, it was obvious too. It was like, like a nose on a face. It was there the whole time, but I didn't catch it. It says this, and Jesus entered the temple, Matthew 21, verse 12. And drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. Let me pause for a second. This is during Passover. This is during the last week of Jesus' life, okay? Just a couple days before he would be crucified, all right? But this is not the first time that Jesus has entered the temple like this. This is the second time that he's come in with a righteous indignation against those robbers in the temple. Those people that were selling the sacrifices for an exorbitant amount of money. The people that are doing all this changing in the temple. This was the second time. In fact, it's interesting. If you ever read about the times where Jesus came and overturned the tables, you're going to find two different accounts in the Gospels. And some people say that that's a contradiction in the Gospels. Some people say, when did it happen? Did it happen at the beginning of his ministry? Or did it happen at the end, just a few days before he died on the cross? The Gospel writers didn't get it right. They're just telling stories. They don't even know when it happened. And I would tell you, no, I think there were two occasions. I think he did it at the beginning, and I think he did it at the end. The first time he came with a whip, and the second time is the account we're reading about right now. He comes in, 
and he says he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now, I didn't, I didn't ever caught that part before either. So I knew he overturned the tables, but then the Bible says he overturned the seats too. He was like, I'm not just going to turn your tables over. I'm turning your chairs over. <laughs> you know, get out of here. He's turning all the chairs over. Okay? And then it says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and here's the part I never really caught, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said, look what you did. And at this point, by the way, Jesus is kind of famous. The first time he came into the temple, he actually continued to teach there in the temple courts, even after he'd overturned tables. They didn't know who he was. They didn't really realize the impact that he would be having. Not this time. This time would be different. Jesus is in, and they know who he is. And Caiaphas and the temple guards, they're on to Jesus. In fact, they're looking for a way to silently capture Jesus so they can hold an illegal trial and then turn him over to the Romans for a crucifixion. That, they've already determined they want to do this. So they're looking for things. So they're there, and they see what Jesus is doing. And you know what really offends them? That the kids are saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And so they look at Jesus, and they go, look what, look what they're doing. Look what you made them do. These kids are buying into your delusion. Look how you're spoiling our children. This is what they're really upset about. But the children are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And they said, and he, they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Wow. Jesus looked at them, and he's like, of course I see what they're doing. These kids are leading the way. These kids know the truth when they see it. These kids, they understand. These kids get it. You, you guys who claim to know God you're all your life and are so learned with the scriptures can't even see what's in front of your face. But these kids get it. It's childlike faith that Jesus is after. Not for the wise, not for the miracles and the prophecy, but for childlike faith, the purity of heart. Just prior to this event in Matthew 21, before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we learned how Jesus felt about children. Just a few chapters back from 21 in verse, chapter 18, verses 1 to 3, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What a powerful lesson. I don't think the disciples even got it at this point. We're going to see that here in a minute because it was a little later. They, they really didn't get this. But Jesus was like, you need to become like them. It's not that you need to become, you know, uh, that you need to become immature or that you need to become foolish or whatever it might be. What Jesus is saying is you need to have the purity of a child. Your faith has to be pure. Your love has to be pure. You have to be willing to love him no matter what goes on around you, 
A child doesn't think of all the consequences. We as adults do, don't we? Because of our experiences, we go, oh, yeah, I better keep quiet. Uh, I'm going to embarrass myself or someone's going to be uncomfortable because I'm worshiping or because I'm saying something. Someone's going to say, oh, he didn't know. Oh, he's crying out, Hosanna, son of David. Doesn't he know? Keep it down. Keep it down. Everybody's going to look. Kids didn't care. Hosanna to the son of David. They just said it out loud. Right? We adults, we say it out loud. We go, oop, did I just say that out loud? You know, like catch ourselves. But the kids, they catch themselves. They said it proudly. Hosanna, son of David. And this is what God's looking for us, just to be a childlike in heart and have that kind of faith. Matthew chapter 19, just a chapter later, in verse 13, it says this. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. They didn't get it. They didn't hear what he said. Just a chapter before. They didn't get it. So they rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. All right, I want to pause for a second. How many are grateful that in church we get to have kids at our church? How many are grateful for that? Listen, our children... We should thank God for the kids, even when they're in service. You know, whenever you hear a baby crying or you have a, a child talking or whatever it might be, don't let that bother you. Listen, it's like the disciples. They, they were bothered that the little children was put amongst them. You know, it's like they're just a little nuisance here. All right. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. You can learn a lot from a child. So I say, thank God for the kids. Now, we do have a kid's church because, you know, they can learn at their level of understanding. We believe they'll get more out of all of that. But I'm just saying we should be grateful for the children that are at our church. Amen. And we should pray for them. But we can learn from them to be childlike like they are in their faith. So when the children cry out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, it really hammers home what Jesus was teaching, that we need to be childlike in our faith. I read this story recently that I want to paraphrase for you. It's about a woman named Mrs. Klein. She was a first grade teacher who learned how powerful the words of a child can be. Do you know, kids will teach us. Kids will lead the way. When Mrs. Klein told her first graders to draw a picture of something that they were thankful for, she thought about how little these children actually had because most of the kids in her class, they came from a deteriorating neighborhood. And so she figured that, oh, when she gave the assignment, the kids, they're probably going to just draw turkeys and they're going to draw like a big Thanksgiving table filled with food because she figured that the kids, even though they didn't have all that stuff, they thought that's what she wanted them to draw. She, they would just draw the things that they would be thankful for if they had it. And that's what she expected. What took her back was the picture that Douglas drew. Douglas was a quiet and a lonely kid. And every day at recess, instead of playing with all the other kids, Douglas would stick close to her side and basically be her shadow. And Douglas's drawing was simply this. It was a hand. Nothing else. Just a hand. But whose hand? The class was captivated by his image of this hand. I think it must be the hand of God. That brings us food, said one student. Oh, no, it's a farmer, another kid said, because they grow the turkeys, right? No, it looks more like a policeman because they protect us. I think, said Lavinia, 
who was always so serious that it's supposed to be all the hands that help us. But Douglas could only draw one of them. So Mrs. Klein, she was so pleased that all the kids were so interactive and involved in the project that she quickly got them involved in another project. You know, teacher taking advantage. Kids are excited. Let's get them going. Even more. So she decided to do that. But then quietly, she came up to Douglas, and she whispered in his ear, and she quietly asked him whose hand it was. And Douglas mumbled, it's yours, teacher. Mrs. Klein recalled that she had taken Douglas by the hand from time to time, but she had done that often with all of her students. But she never knew how much it meant to Douglas. Douglas, a child, showed her what to be most thankful for. Not the material things that are given to us, but for the people who love us. A child knows this. And you and I can learn from that. And this is what we learn from the prayer of Jesus. So this inspired Mrs. Klein to keep loving the children and to keep making a difference. The third thing that I see in Jesus' prayer was that Jesus reminds us to be thankful. He actually reminds us. He actively reminds us. How many times has God reminded you to be thankful? Maybe he's told you this. But he reminds us. In his prayer, he reiterated that the Father revealed the Son, and the Son had the authority to reveal the Father to whomever he chose. Scripture says that he turned to the disciples after he thanked the Father. Okay, he got done saying thank you to the Father for the disciples. He turns to the disciples, the Bible says, and then he says to them privately these words, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. In other words, Jesus, after thanking the Father for them, he turns to them and he reminds them of what they should be grateful for. He's like, hey, you guys, don't you realize the privilege that you've been given? Don't you realize the great gift that you have? He's turning to the disciple and he said, hey, guys, wake up for a second. Wake up for a second. You guys have been able to see things and hear things that not even prophets and kings were able to hear and see. You. And you know what? I can hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning, all the way down through the ages, right here to 2020. And he's looking at us right now in this room and he's saying, and, and online that are watching this, you have been able to see and hear things that others have not been able to. The Father has revealed the Son, and the Son has revealed the Father. You are blessed. And when you have these privileges, you should be thankful. Jesus reminds us over and over again. In fact, in John 17, 26, he says this, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. In other words, Jesus is not giving up on you. Jesus is not stopping from reminding you. Jesus will forever remind you of the privileges that you have in Christ Jesus, in God. You have those privileges. He'll remind you that you are a son or a daughter of God. He'll remind you that you are a priest in the household of God. He'll remind you that you are more than a conqueror because he loved you and he paid that price on the cross. Over and over again, Jesus will remind you and make it known to you. He says that the love with which you have loved me, Father, may be in them and I in them. 
Why will he want you to be thankful? He wants his love, the Father's love to be felt in you, Jesus to live inside of you and to feel that love inside of you. This is God's heart. This is Jesus' heart for you and for me, that we would have his love. When we think of that, and I go, man, how many times have I I've been so bitter against somebody? How many times have I just been complaining about people and about things that I shouldn't be when Jesus, all he wants is a grateful heart filled with the love of God to have Jesus inside. That's his prayer. And so he won't give up on you. He won't give up on me. He knows we're human. He knows that we fall into these traps, but he's going to continue to remind us of how much he loves us and how much we have to be grateful for. Sometimes we need the reminding, don't we? How many are with me on this? We need fresh perspective. I need perspective. I need it. I need to be reminded of what I'm grateful for. There was this blind boy, and he would sit on the steps of the building with a hat by his feet. I don't know if, if you ever came across a situation like this before, you'd probably go, oh, wow, that is sad. Little blind boy, he's got a hat sitting in front of him. He's got a sign that he's holding, and it simply says this, I am blind, please help. Now, there were only a few coins in the hat. Spare change from folks as they hurried past him. But a man was walking by. And he took a few coins from his pocket, and he dropped them into the hat. But then he did something unexpected. He took the little boy's sign, and he turned it around, and he wrote some words. And then he put the sign back into the blind boy's hands so that everyone who walked by would see the new words. Soon, the hat began to fill up. A lot more people were giving money to the blind boy. And that afternoon, the man who had changed the sign returned to see how things were. The boy recognized his footsteps and asked, Were you the one who changed my sign this morning? What did you write? The man said, I only wrote the truth. I said what you said, but in a different way. I wrote, Today is a beautiful day but I cannot see it. Both signs spoke the truth, but the first sign simply said the boy was blind, while the second sign conveyed to everyone walking by how grateful they should be to be able to see. Sometimes we just need a different perspective. We just need to come and realize what we really have to be grateful for. And that's what we're asking the Holy Spirit to do in our hearts this morning. We're just asking the Lord, give us a new perspective. God, remind me of all the things that I've been given, the privileges shown to me, the protection you've provided me, the people that love me and make me grateful, God. Make me so grateful and filled with the love of Jesus. Amen? And this is precisely what Jesus was doing with his disciples in his prayer after he thanked the Father and he turned to them because he said these words, Blessed are the eyes that see, 
what you see. He said that to them. I have a final thought this morning before we wrap up the sermon. And that is this. Thankful people are prayer people. Thankful people are prayer people. How many want to be a prayer person? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We want to be a prayerful people. But in our prayers, we want to be thankful. So what can we do to start building a more thankful prayer life? That's a good question. How can I be more thankful in my prayers? How can it be less about the demands and the complaints and more about the giving of thanks? How can I turn this to a different direction? Well, we can all begin by asking ourselves this question. What should I thank God for? That's a great question. You ever ask yourself that question? What should I thank God for? I want to challenge all of us to begin to do that, even in your heart right now as you get to conclude the message. Would you begin to ask God, what should I be thankful for? And then later you could continue this, because I believe when you start answering that question, you're going to write one thing down, and then you're going to have to write another. And then you'll have to write another. And pretty soon, you might not be able to finish your list. You'll have so many blessings and so many things that you can think of to be grateful for that it'll just keep going on and on. You might not be able to stop, so you better get started. And I want to tell you something. When your list gets so long about the things that you're grateful for, your prayers are going to get long. Because then you begin to come into the presence of God and you begin to pray and say, okay, I'm going to have some quiet time. But pretty soon it's not really quiet time because it's shouting time. Right? You begin to say, God, I thank you for this. And, oh, yeah, God, I thank you for that too. And, and oh, Lord, oh, yeah, I don't want to forget that because I remember this happened to me. Today. And, and that happened. And, this, and, Lord, I met this person. And, oh, that person loves me. And, and, God, I've been able to have the access to this. And here's what you provided. And, oh, man, you protected me. How many have ever had the protection of God over your life? You know how it is, you know, with accidents, right? Every time there's an accident and you drive by, everybody slows down. It, you know, it's the gawkers, right? It like holds up the, the traffic. And we do it because we're just curious. We just want to see what happened. Oh, that was a bad one. Oh, the car was flipped over. Did anybody, you know, I don't know if you're like me. I have to admit this. I'm, I'm kind of sick. But is there blood? You know, I just want to, I look and I want to see how bad things were. But maybe when we drive by accidents, maybe we can go, thank you, Jesus. I pray for those people, but thank you for protecting me. Thank you, I'm here. Some of you may have been in accidents, but you're here today. Thank God. Thank God you're still alive. You're here. I've been. I've been in that spot. But when we begin to be prayerful about our thanks, there's benefits that take place. You are the one who will benefit from a prayerful or thankful prayer life. You will benefit. And in conclusion, I just want to give you a few of those things to just tell you. If you start this practice of thankful prayers, here's what's going to happen. It's going to open your heart, and it's going to open your mind, and you're going to look for reasons to thank God. It's going to be like everywhere you go and everything that happens, you're going to start looking for a reason to thank God. That's going to change your perspective. It's kind of like the time I... I went to this evangelism conference, right? And they taught you how to—they taught you how to what they called mine media for gospel illustrations. 
So the guy, Greg Steer, he taught us how to watch movies and look at the movies and, and see, the, see the, an example of Jesus in a movie and how to find, you know, share the message of Christ. He called, them, he called them gospel segues, all right? So you're watching the movie and you see an example and then you go, you know, like you're watching Iron Man and you want to put on the suit and then all of a sudden you go, yeah, that reminds me of the armor of God. Do you know about the armor of God? And you just start going through the list. And when he did that, it just drove us crazy because now I can't watch a movie without thinking about a gospel segue. You know, I just start thinking about how to use this to share Jesus. Same thing with your prayers and thanks. When you start looking at your life and going, oh, how can I thank God? Oh, what, what's in that? I can thank God for that. You'll start seeing your life differently and you'll become so thankful. Another thing is you'll become more grateful for God's provisions and the privileges that you have been given. No longer will you take them for granted as, oh, these are my rights, or this is what I deserve. But instead, you start seeing them as privilege. Oh, God, you didn't have to reveal to me who you were. You didn't have to show me all this, but you did, and I am so grateful. God, you didn't have to put me in this position to be an ambassador and a representative of Jesus Christ. But because of you, I am. Thank you, Lord, for making me a child. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the rights as a child of God. You'll begin to hope. And you'll have anticipation that will build inside of you. And you will become a God seeker and a grace giver. Because when you become grateful, you begin to be grateful for the people that love you. And you begin to show more grace. You start saying, thank you, Jesus. Even the people that aren't saved yet, your heart might just get bigger even for them. Because you say, Lord, I love them and I want to be forever with them. Lord, let me love them as you would love them so that they can know you. Instead of fighting, instead of being angry at them, instead of just being disappointed in them. I don't know how many of you have adult children right now that you raised in the church, but they're not in church this morning. Love them. Keep loving them. Keep showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Fighting and being angry and being bitter and blaming and shaming that is never going to win them to Jesus Christ. And that is not the way God works. Right? You have to let the Holy Spirit work on their heart. And you have to love them like God loves them. That's the only way they'll know Jesus. But this is what happens when you begin to pray grateful prayers. Thankful prayers. It starts to happen.